Today's podcast is brought to you by GE Healthcare. Thanks to GE Healthcare for their support on this podcast. When it comes to earlier cancer detection, your PET CT shouldn't raise more questions than it answers. Omni Legend was designed with ultra-high sensitivity and spatial resolution for image quality you can trust. And thanks to the world's first digital DBGO pet detector, this cutting-edge solution is improving access to advanced technology for both patients and providers. Learn more at gehealthcare.com slash omni-legend. The Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging welcomes you to the SNMMI podcast series. This new series focuses on deep dives into hot topics for nuclear medicine and molecular imaging professionals, featuring findings and anecdotes from some of the preeminent thought leaders in our profession. We now return you to Dr. Stephen Graves and Dr. Benjamin Auer as they continue to discuss quantitative SPECT imaging. I think that, you know, the emergence of radiopharmaceutical therapy may be the most compelling reason why we might expect to see a shift towards SPECT-CT imaging. You know, the use of dosimetry to either monitor therapy or to prescribe the actual treatment activity uh, may even require a higher degree of quantitative accuracy than conventional diagnostic PET imaging. So can you talk a little bit about the role for SPECT imaging moving forward in a, in a space where we have a number of new radiopharmaceutical therapies that are emerging and being approved? Yeah, I will start by just, you know, introducing like Terranostic, which is basically the, the use of um, very similar radiopharmaceutical for imaging and, um, and therapy, right? So SPECT cities in a wonderful and a very adventurous position because many radioisotopes available for treatment uh, also emit like uh, gamma rays photons suitable for, for imaging. So for example, um, uh, the beta emitter uh, lutetium used in uh, lutetium dodate or um, the recently approved um, lutetium for PSMA. Um, so dodate will be used for uh, endocrine tumor treatment and um, lutetium also emits like gamma rays at energies of uh, 113 kV and 208 kV. And these um, two gamma ray peaks can be imaged by most of the aspect CT system with good performance, right? So alternatively, terranostic pairs can also be developed, such as the use of gamma ray emitting um, uh, radiolentonide with a corresponding therapeutic form, uh, like, for example, terbium-155, a gamma ray emitter, can be used for uh, imaging uh, along with a therapeutic terbium isotope, such as 161 uh, terbium. And um, so presenting like an ideal, I would say, uh, terranostic pair because of virtually uh, identical uh, chemical uh, properties. And uh, terbium will be used for uh, prostate cancer uh, therapy. We can also uh, use what we call like um, surrogate. So indium is used as the diagnostic radionuclide surrogate in a terranostic pair 
with the TCM.8 rate, uh, because um, indium has a half-life uh, of three days, and it is therefore more uh, suitable for dosimetry studies, and also a higher uh, photon abundance, so you will be able to detect uh, more of the, of the photon emitted. Because with lutetium, the, um, one of the issues for imaging is that uh, photon uh, supermarie uh, abundance is, is quite low. Um, abundance for the lower energy peak is 6%, and for the 208 uh, kV peak, it's, it's around like 10%. And um, so this is this might not be, um, I would say, suited for high performance imaging, but uh, it can be used for um, dosimetry studies, right? So quantitative spec CT imaging will thus play like a key role in the foreseeable future. And I think that personalized um, uh, radiation uh, therapy uh, based on patient-specific dosimetry could improve like therapeutic efficacy um, by optimizing the effective uh, tumor absorbed dose while uh, limiting like radiation exposure to, to critical organs and therefore like minimizing uh, treatment-related uh, toxicity. And um in, uh, in such therapy, we are also injecting like therapeutic levels of radioactivity, uh, overdosing can cause like significant toxicity, but in the meantime, underdosing will result in uh, less effective uh, treatment and uh, probably a poorer uh, outcome for, for the patient. So the accuracy of these uh, image-based measurements um, and those measurements from the spectacular images are thus uh, critical. So. Basically, the absorbed dose uh, will be the physical quantity that can determine whether a tumor dose will be maximized while uh, minimizing radiation toxicity to, uh, to healthy organs. Um, and uh, how can one estimate the absorbed dose in uh, organs and uh, tumors? Um, so the necessary steps are quantitative imaging, um, this is the, the first step and uh, the first recommendation, time integrated activity uh, determination as well in combination with uh, what um, the, the physicists call the, the S value and also uh, segmentation. So quantitative imaging is thus the, the key that can unlock accurate and personalized uh, dosimetry treatment uh, planning. So. They are made, just to briefly describe a little bit the context. They are like uh, methods using like planar dosimetry, such as in the context of IDAN-131 therapy for thyroid cancer that can estimate activity concentration by segmentation of tumors and organs of interest and, um, you know, from the planar uh, imaging. Uh, however, uh, with planar imaging, you have like a superimposition of activity that can cause like significant uh, overestimation of activity and hence of the uh, absorbed uh, dose. Hybrid methods uh, are the single quantitative spec CT study to the series of uh, planar imaging. Um, and this 3D um, spec CT study uh, acquired close to one of the planar images enable one to improve uh, quantification and um, calibrate uh, planar-based um, measurement, but uh, does not resolve really the, the overlapping issue. So these two previous methods can be used only for, I would say, organ-based dosimetry. 
but for more uh, precision, full 3D spec CT uh, imaging uh, must be must be considered. And um, then volume of interest used for dosimetry calculation can be segmented uh, more precisely um, on uh, anatomical uh, CT. And um, yeah, I would say that dosimetry based on um, quantitative spec CT images provide like an accuracy of about like 20% on the absolute dose in a clinical setting. And um, this really enable like a personalized um, treatment uh, dosimetry. Um, but I would say that uh, work remains in developing models of absorbed dose, uh, doses, especially for alpha emitting uh, therapeutic radioisotopes. And uh, patient specific dosimetry could improve like therapeutic efficacy. Uh, by optimizing effective tumor absorbed dose while limiting uh, treatment-related um, radiotoxicity. So quantitative uh, 3D spec CT um, uh, imaging is really uh, desired for dosimetry, right? Right. And if we look at the, the role for dosimetry in a conventional radiation therapy context, and uh, you know, perhaps there's some value in comparing the the quantitative accuracy of what we're doing with what a conventional radiation oncology clinic might be doing, you know, in, in a, a, an external beam setting, they can calibrate their LINAC to within uh, 1% of a, a particular ion chamber. But if you follow the full chain of traceability back to a, a primary air Kerma standard at NIST, the overall uncertainty for LINAC calibration is around 5%, give or take. So even ignoring the other steps in the, the dosimetry process with uh, nuclear medicine therapies, do you think we'll be able to achieve a, a reasonable quantitative accuracy of less than 5% with a, a spec CT system? And that's sort of the, the question I'd like to pose to you. Yeah, so that's um, a very good question. So I would say it will really um, depend, you know, if um, like... Um, the, all the uh, the spec CT images, you know, uh, have been kind of calibrated. Um, also, because the um, cross calibration basically means that um, spec CT images are calibrated against like a dose calibrator. But um, the dose calibrator will introduce some uncertainties on the dose rate, um, which is typically plus minus uh, 10%. But if we use like NIST calibrated dose, uh, for example, I think that Siemens um, has, um, or no provides like such calibration, right? For um, such cross calibration to have like a very good uh, accuracy and also very good reproducibility between sites. So, um, I would say 5% may be difficult to achieve with spec CT, um, with quantitative spec CT, right? Because you have like also a lot of uncertainties in the um, imaging process. Um, you have like different correction available. But um, if you use like really accurate uh, correction, um, I think we can, we can uh, be very close to that 5%, yes. So I think you make a great point that the the dose calibrator is really the underlying uh, source of error. If we if we can't um, you know correctly identify a dial setting for a particular geometry in a particular measurement instrument, it would be impossible to to calibrate a uh, a scanner to better than the uncertainty in the dose calibrator. And 
Yeah. So your, your point about the, you know, the Siemens provides this uh, selenium 75 source that is NIST, NIST traceable for calibrating a number of, of, of radioisotopes. Um, you know, that leads into the, the topic of the types of tools that the, the vendors are providing for doing quantitative uh, spec CT imaging. Would you mind giving us a little bit of perspective on the field in this area? Yeah, so this is yeah, a really interesting uh, question, and um, yeah, I would say not so easy to to answer, right? Because there are a lot of uh, tools um, available, and uh, clearly a lack of uh, standardization. So, despite like remarkable recent progress to achieve like quantitative specificity. There remains um, no standardized, generalizable approach to conveniently and accurately generate the necessary radionuclide-specific calibration factor. Just to remind the uh, auditors, this factor allows the like, conversion of the spec measure count per voxel into a true radionuclide concentration uh, measurement, so PQ uh, per ml. And this is required, for example, for um, dosimetry uh, studies, right? Because the, the images need to be in BQML before uh, being able to even load these into like um, a software that will calculate the absolute dose um, uh, for you, right? So, for example, as I mentioned, Siemens procedure is based on a NIST traceable calibration source, which is precisely measured and uh, specifically designed to calibrate the system sensitivity to an absolute standard. And the technique is um, dose calibrator independent, uh, I would say, and enable standardization of a patient uptake across uh, different cameras and uh, institution. Um, and uh, also the, the, the cross calibration step using like a uniform cylinder is still required and used uh, in a way to correct for um, those calibrator um, bias, right? Um, so that method is called um, expect and uses like um, um, NIST uh, Cobalt 57 source for technetium and uh, Iden-123 and uh, Selenium-75 uh, source for uh, higher energy uh, isotopes like indium and uh, lutetium uh, with um, typically um, MEGP collimator. So once you have done this calibration, uh, Siemens recommends to, to do this like regularly uh, on a monthly basis, um, just, you know, um, to um, recalibrate the system because the system will basically evolve over time. Um, some of the detector will be, you know, recalibrated. So you have to uh, clearly um, also um, calculate uh, another uh, calibration factor every time the, the system um, uh, detector are, are changing, right? So, um, G uh, healthcare recommends like plain measurement of the detector sensitivity using a, um, a flat plastic dish, I think, um, containing like a homogeneous radioisotope solution. So this method is basically um, those calibrator uh, dependent. So this is um, different than uh, what uh, Siemens is, is, is offering. 
And uh, then you still have to acquire the uniform cylinder to um, to have like a, a volume um, information for use for cross calibration. And uh, spectrum dynamics recommend like uh, what we call the broad quanti quantification approach, like consisting of sensitivity calibration based on a line source, and also like uh, volume sensitivity calibration based on a, on a uniform cylinder. And um, sensitivity calibration measure like the system ability to detect the radioactivity compared to the true amount of, uh, of radioactivity. And the volume calibration generates a volume sensitivity factor using like a, a phantom clinically um, relevant uh, and also uh, isotope and collimator set. So calibration, and this is, I think, the, the main um, issue with uh, with SPECT, right? Such calibration needs to be completed um, for each isotope collimator uh, combination and um, quite frequently. So there are no standardization in um, in, uh, in in this uh, in the recommendation, I would say. Some of the vendors recommend to do uh, this calibration on a monthly basis, such as Siemens, but uh, others like uh, Spectrum Dynamics recommend to do this calibration uh, basically uh, annually uh, after the the, the preventive uh, maintenance rate. Um, so I think that cross calibration based on solely acquiring uniform cylinders is also not really adapted to uh, long-lived nucleides used in uh, dosimetry studies, such as lutetium uh, with half-life of seven days, iodine-131 half-life is eight days, or even like indium with a half-life of three days. As the phantoms, you know, then have to be stored for months in order to, to decay to, uh, to the background level. So I would say it's, this approach is um, is kind of um, difficult to, um, to to set in in practice. Um, also, software vendors such as um, you know Meme and Hermes also provide uh, cross calibration guideline and tools as quantitative uh, images are required for uh, for their uh, dosimetry packages. So manufacturer and software vendors have also recommended cross calibration based on point source, which is by far easier and uh, practical, I would say, in, uh, in clinical condition. But uh, realistic scatter condition need to be emulated as in, um, you know, similarly to um, to actual patient for the cross calibration really to be uh, to be accurate. So point source based um, calibration um, lack precision, but um, I would say that it's it is better than uh, than nothing. And um, recently, the SNMMI clinical trials network, um, on which I think you were uh, strongly uh, involved, Dr. Graves, has developed like a phantom prototype where a point source is placed in the center of a donut shape uh, cylinder, so that acquisition can emulate uh, realistic uh, clinical settings. Um, so this can be really. Um, a very uh, valuable uh, option because can be uh, it's practically feasible in um, in clinical routine, right? And um, it can be also um, very accurate because you are simulating um, actual realistic uh, scatter level. But um, I really think that we are still lacking like standardiz standardization in cross calibration procedure, like. What those range, you know, can be considered uh, adequate for um, 
um, paralytic nucleides. Also, what type of software correction uh, do we do? Does it require, and also the frequency of uh, of this calibration? Should we perform such calibration every quarter, as we do for PET, or is annually uh, acceptable? Because here you need to do that calibration for every um, nucleate in clinical use. And um, I would be honestly quite interested to uh, to participate in elaborating like a such you know general uh, guideline describing uh, these elements and answering this uh, this question because i think this is really what is currently missing and um, i would say also that the most important point is standardization as it is the case with with pet as long as sites use you know similar correction and calibration techniques uh, measurement will be um, reproducible and comparable between uh, between sites and, and systems and such Critical calibration should always be, um, in my opinion, supervised by a physicist to ensure that nothing was uh, was missed, and also to assess um, how well the the calibration um, was was performed and how it how it performed. Right. So in our department, um, we are responsible for this calibration on our spec and uh, and, and PET systems, for example. Today's podcast is brought to you by GE Healthcare. Thanks to GE Healthcare for their support on this podcast. When it comes to earlier cancer detection, your PET CT shouldn't raise more questions than it answers. Omni Legend was designed with ultra-high sensitivity and spatial resolution for image quality you can trust. Learn more at gehealthcare.com slash omni legend. That brings us to an interesting question, which is uh, this sort of philosophical question of whether we should have the vendors provide a, a carefully crafted calibration technique for a given scanner, or whether the process should be overseen by a physicist or you know totally designed and performed by a physicist, or maybe some combination of the two where the manufacturer provides a sensitivity calibration for an instrument, but there's an ability for a site to to override that that calibration if they find that they they would rather use a different calibration geometry or they find that the initial calibration has drifted or was outright erroneous um so what are your thoughts on on what the right way to approach this problem is and and maybe you know comment on the availability of, of physicists in our field for for doing this more broadly do we have enough enough people in the field i would say that um you know um Vendors should definitely recommend some calibration procedures, but um, it has to, I mean, a general um, consentment has to be made right in, in the field um, by, for example, the, the SNMMI or the uh, AAPM to kind of guide what type of um, calibration correction we are required. So I, I think it will be more like a combination of uh, vendor-provided calibration and also um, manual calibration. Yeah, we definitely need um, some sort of um, standardization of uh, of the approach. And um, the approach cannot be different from one scanner to another. So um, I think physicists really have to guide where um, what they need really to 
be able to perform like um, accurate calibration and also guide some sort of the, the you know the vendors to um to kind of um you know uh harmonize uh, their their approach and um to you to to answer your question about um do we have like enough uh, physicists in the in the field that's an interesting uh, interesting uh, question so i would say that um yeah the physicist role is is critical right uh, in the in the steps to generate like quantitative data as it consists um, of advancing methodology and equipment and making sure that calibration procedures and protocols are suited and um, and basically uh, followed. So physicists act like expert in the physics of imaging and um, and all dosimetry uh, and are usually taking care um, uh, of you know the dosimetry analysis and then report their findings to to the physician. So they are they are really part of the um, of the, um, the imaging team um, in itself and. Um, they may they may also be asked to produce like quantitative analysis workflow and develop like new metrics, um, and I think with no the increased demand for such quantitative studies uh, like in Terranostic, I think that medical physicist um, job openings will uh, significantly uh, increase. Yeah, because um, I think that, that there is a, a lack of uh, of physicists, and um, I would say that. If a site, you know, wants to do like and um, uh, wants to take that path to actually uh, perform quantitative spec CT imaging, um, they should really um, have like um, physicists on site um, because they, they will need some uh, some guidance. I'd like to to change topics a little bit at this point. Um, so, so there, you mentioned earlier that there are some newer, uh, you know, CZT based, uh, spec system designs, but thinking more generally, um, what are the, the limitations of a spec system and, and are there, you know, fundamental design improvements that could be made that would, that would make a system more pet like either in terms of sensitivity or spatial resolution or, or other characteristics that you, you might comment on. I think we, we could probably spend an hour uh, just describing like these novel systems, right? But um, yeah, so fantastic question. So I think that we can probably achieve like pet-like um, system design, but um, inspect we will still have the collimator and the collimator, um, you know, is critical to form the image because it correlates um, detection location to the source location. And this is what it used uh, for, you know, in the reconstruction process. Um, so collimator uh, basically absorbed all the, um, the, the photons with improper characteristics. So basically you are removing some of the, um, some information on the signal you try to, uh, to measure. So Sensitivity will always be uh, lower uh, for SPECT uh, intrinsically uh, than for PET because for PET um, you do not uh, have any, any collimator, but the collimation is done um, electronically via like, um, uh, you know, coincidence uh, windowing. So the latest generation of SPECT city systems are 
constructed like around CCT detectors. And um, in my opinion, such technology has really revolutionized uh, SPECT imaging um, in general and enabling precise uh, quantitation. Because CCT has really changed the way we were building like um, SPECT systems and um, improvements in uh, in design was uh, was really um, a key to achieve like a precise uh, quantitation so if we have time let me just give like a brief introduction to um, to what is actually CZT so CZT or canyon zinc telluride detectors also like direct radiation conversion counter to a conventional uh, you know, centimeter plus PMT technology for which such conversion is indirect. And this direct transfer of energy and location information results in improved uh, detection performance. And in practice, mostly due to cost consideration, stopping power is very similar to, um, to conventional uh, centimeter detector. So increase in sensitivity does not really come um, from the, the, the CZT detector uh, in itself. CZT has also like multiple advantages, such as the superior energy resolution compared to conventional technology, um, typically five, six percent compared to nine to 10 percent. And this states in scatter discrimination and uh, in reducing as well crosstalk for multi-isotope um, studies. And um, detectors are designed with small elements so that spatial localization is based on simply identifying the pixel where the signal uh, originates it from. So detector spatial resolution is, is thus also um, improved from about 3.8 millimeter for conventional technology to 2.5 millimeter um, detector spatial resolution, right? So, and CZT, has also one uh, great advantage. It's, it basically does not um, have any dead time or detector saturation in concrete range, you know, uh, seen in clinical imaging, which is desired, as we have seen, for terranostic application and also uh, for uh, 3D uh, dynamic uh, SPECT imaging. And this is really an exciting area of, um, of SPECT imaging as well. Um, because CZT allows to maintain quantitative accuracy for high concrete tracers and, um, and dynamic imaging. And CZT detectors are compact and have really changed the way we are building like SPECT system. CZT technology has facilitated more efficient uh, camera design with high performance um, imaging uh, geometry. So. An example of such innovative system designs are 360-degree CZT SPECT CT systems with PET-like uh, configuration, I would say. So there are like uh, currently two systems available. The Bariton from Spectrum Dynamics uh, was the first uh, on the market, and then uh, G uh, launched um, the, the star guide. So even though design like might appear very similar, there exist like major uh, differences, such as for example, the CZT detector and ticker for the star guide, which allows the system to operate to uh, 270 kV with, uh, with good uh, performance. Um, and um, system was uh, designed and developed with Terranostic application in mind. And um, recently, Spectrum Dynamics has um, launched like an upgraded version of the Veriton with ticker CZT. 
um, that would also make the, the system, um, uh, you know, uh, suited for for Terranostic uh, application. And there have been like multiple groups reporting overall uh, good performance with um, lithium one seventy seven imaging. So one thing uh, or one disadvantage is that collimator cannot be exchanged, and um, systems come only with uh, LEHR collimator. Um, configuration. So even though these are made up of tungsten, which is, you know, uh, denser than um, conventional lead, penetration with high energy isotope might um, still likely be uh, be an issue, even though um, um, such, you know, degrading effect can be modeled and uh, corrected for in, uh, in reconstruction. So I think that um, uh, iodine 131 imaging could um, could be an issue, for example, uh, with uh, with such system. So one great advantage of uh, of this system is that um, they uh, cover like uh, three sixty degree, um, so almost um, no rotation. Um, so the detector colon can rotate on their own axis. Uh, this is what is called swivel to focus like on a given organ or structure and can move in and out. To be uh, positioned close to the to the patient for for high performance imaging, so they basically um, offer like improved uh, spatial resolution um, and also uh, high sensitivity uh, compared to a conventional uh, system. Also, accurate quantitation, I would say, or improved quantitation thanks to the city based attenuation and scatter um, correction, as well as, uh, you know, resolution recovery in, in reconstruction. And the CT can also be used during the reconstruction as a prior to provide like anatomic uh, constraints to, to improve the, 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 the contrast on, on some lesion and also the, the quantitation. And um, also they provide like adaptive imaging with optimum performance uh, by detector swiveling and uh, closed detector uh, contouring. So 3D dynamic imaging, um, uh, finally, thanks to no gantry rotation. Um, and uh, as we said, high sensitivity, mainly due to the design and um, also high concrete uh, capabilities um, that make such system really neat for um, 3D dynamic imaging and uh, terranostic, uh, terranostic application. So um, the fact that they are like, there is basically no um, camera rotation or head rotation allows for the near simultaneous acquisition of multiple views over 360 degree, similar to, um, to what is done uh, in PET imaging. And such system enable rapid 3D dynamic imaging with uh, 1.5 to um, to uh, four uh, seconds framing rate. So dynamic imaging has been uh, limited so far to to planar imaging, but um, it's really um, something uh, a hot topic uh, at the moment in in, in the field um, because it alleviates uh, some of uh, some of the issue with dynamic planar planar imaging and. Um, so if I can just uh, briefly mention as well um, that, you know, the increased uh, count sensitivity provided by such system facilitates 
the rapid early uh, dynamic um, imaging. Um, and uh, there are like um, a wide range, I would say, of, uh, of clinical uh, application, such as for myocardial perfusion imaging, because um, high sensitivity and um, improved spatial resolution are capable to improve uh, qualitatively the images, um, but um, they can also, um, they have the potential to, um, to lead to myocardial blood flow and myocardial flow reserve quantitation uh, compared to a conventional spect because with conventional spect, the head are rotating. So the, the framing um, rate is, is limited. So such system is limited for, uh, for, for dynamic, uh, dynamic imaging. And um, yeah, in, in one of our recent studies, we, we demonstrated like a very good correlation in um, myocardial blood flow uh, quantitation obtained with like a, a cardiac CCT spec system compared to, uh, to PET in, um, in a core of, of patient with a known or suspected uh, coronary uh, artery disease. And that 360 CCT spec has the potential to enhance further this quantitation because you will have the, the CT and also um, uh, a 360 degree um, uh, orbit, uh, so higher uh, sensitivity compared to a cardiac dedicated CCT spec. Um, and um, and also another promising uh, application is for uh, cardiac amyloidosis imaging, um, which is like a form of progressive uh, heart failure. And um, Bonavid scintigraphy spect has very good sensitivity and specificity to um, to diagnose like uh, cardiac amyloidosis. Um, and quantitative specificity has the potential to, to provide not only non-invasive diagnosis, but also assessment of uh, disease project progression and treatment response, as well as uh, early diagnostic. And this is even more crucial that multiple therapies for cardiac um, amyloidosis have been recently approved. So SPECT has been shown to, to perform much better than scintigraphy, you know, since it offers uh, improved alienation of, of uh, blood pool from myocardial activity. And um, SPECT-CT leads to further enhancements and it provides improved image quality and quantitation while uh, enabling um, anatomic uh, localization. And um, in one of our recent studies, uh, we demonstrated that um, Quantitation with such systems, so 360 degree CCT provide quantitation um, of um, um, the tracer, which is like PYP um, uptake uh, in, in the myocardium. And uh, we introduced in that paper several quantitative metrics, um, uh, and we observed like increase of the multiple metrics along with the, with the disease stage. So this is also something um, that is uh, being added to uh, the visual assessment of the images. So quantitative, um, quantitative spect, and um, and really, um, it is a great tool for um, evaluate the the response uh, to treatment and also uh, early uh, diagnosis of some disease such as uh, cardiac um, uh, amyloidosis. And I think that dynamic three D imaging. Um, is, is really the next uh, trending topic in the, in the spec area. Um, in addition, you know, to, um, to, to 
quantitative imaging, and CCT-based systems are of um, great value in uh, in this context. Um, and as uh, you know, I just described like two um, clinical application um, for in cardiac imaging. I have just one more question for you, which I think will be the the easiest one yet. So in five to 10 years, do you think quantitative spec CT imaging will be available in uh, most clinics or or almost all clinics in the in the US at least? So I would say that quantitative spec uh, CT is already available in some clinics with you know um, conventional systems and also, uh, as we said, latest generation CCT systems. But uh, it is mainly used for, for research studies, uh, I would say. And um, we use it here, for example, in the context of cardiac amyloidosis, part of the disease uh, staging, but mainly for, for research, right? Not, uh, not clinically. Um, but I would say it is not widely used clinically, uh, quantitative spec, right? As it requires extra calibration, mainly for, for example, um, attenuation scatter correction to date uh, in our de department have been mainly um, widely used, you know, clinically to remove like artifacts in inspect images, but um, not really uh, for a quantitative uh, assessment. And um, this is changing since Terranostic, you know, has brought like uh, recently a quantitative spect to the to the forefront. I would say, but um, major medical centers know of like frequent um, equipment replacement upgrade and a state of of the art scanners capable really to produce quantitative uh, data. So. The, the system, hardware, and uh, software, um, you know, with the, all the correction, um, this is um, available. So why um, it is not being used? Um, so this is this is a, a good question. And um, um, yeah, what are we basically lacking currently? Are, and where do we go from uh, from here? Uh, so that you know, we use that tool um, to 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 the best um, of its capabilities. So I think there are like two main things we are currently lacking. First, there is a lack of standardization and constancy in the cross calibration method recommended, you know, by the uh, manufacturers or um, nuclear medicine societies. So also there exists in spec like a wide variation in systems and collimator sets. Thus, you know, uh, system performance and also uh, variation in QC procedures that make standard standardization a difficult uh, task. And I think this can be addressed uh, soon enough by creating like guideline on how to perform the calibration, when to perform the calibration, and find like a suitable solution for long-lived uh, nucleides like lithium or. Uh, uh, 177 or IVM131. Only then, I would say, we might improve uh, reproducibility between studies and sites as, as it was done for, for PET. And the second thing um, I would say is the lack of population studies to determine like normal quantitative uh, metric range, similar to what has been done in, in PET. And it is great to produce quantitative metrics, but how do we analyze them clinically? What can be considered normal, abnormal, and what are their significance in the treatment uh, monitoring? 
So these general consensuses take time to be set and published. And we have been like working in, um, in, the, in the context of early diagnosis of cardiac amyloidosis here at the Brigham to determine the, the clinical outcome of small uptake level in the, in, the, in the myocardium. And what does it mean in terms of um, patient survival? And also, um, how do we... Uh, adapt the, the 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 treatment to to this case so another thing is that the visual grading of uh, of the spec ct is also images is also often subjective so i think that therefore standardization of spec ct um, evaluation you know by the use of suv for example might be um, a good start and um, definitely a better diagnostic tool as it is independent of the of the reader um, and it enables uh, an easier patient-to-patient -patient, uh, comparison. And I think that one important benefit of, uh, of using quantitation is um, or precise quantitation, I would say, standardization and consistency. So clinical applications such as brain or cardiac spect uh, require established benchmark or threshold often, you know, derived from normal database and, um, activity quantitation will ensure that, uh, reference values derived from database are consistent across like, uh, institutions, scanners and time and are, um, independent of, uh, of patient uh, variability. Um, another thing, and maybe the, the, the last point will be that um, there are also uncertain insurance reimbursement for dosimetry or quantitative study. Uh, for example, with, um, with bone scan, which is typically done um, with planar imaging and um, insurance will, will only uh, reimburse um, such study. Um, so if you want to perform a SPECT CT study, um, you will have a hard time um, getting like reimbursement, right? So I think also that the field has to move forward and really to um, include um, now, quantitative spec CT in, um, and, and really um, um, understand the, the benefit of it and use it um, clinically. Because the, the, the diagnostic value of quantitative spec CT is uh, really considerable, I think. And um, yeah, definitely it will, um, it will be um, more and more available in, uh, in clinics, uh, first in the, in the major sites, I would say. But um, as it is already uh, now, right? So I think we have all the tools. We just need to understand uh, how to use it and um, kind of um, move the field uh, forward to um, understand the benefits of uh, such imaging. Thank you, Dr. Auer. I think that this is really an exciting time with the emergence of a new quantitative imaging modality. Uh, which has largely been driven by the applications, the the new science and and literature in support of this technology, and it will be really interesting to see how the field evolves and grows over the next five to ten years. So, with that, I think we should wrap the podcast up. So, uh, I want to thank all of the listeners to this podcast for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Society of Nuclear Medicine Molecular Imaging podcast series, and the topic today was quantitative spect imaging. We hope you'll return for additional podcast uh, topics in the future. Uh, and again, we'd like to, to thank, uh, thank the listeners. 
This has been the SNMMI podcast series. Keep an eye out for future episodes where we'll continue to tackle hot-button issues in the nuclear medicine and molecular imaging profession. Thanks for listening. 